Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Shema podcast. I want to explore a concept today, the concept of what's in a name. You know, there's something I did not share with you, but earlier this year in January, my amazing wife had her conversion. She came out of the mikvah, no longer Shana, but Elisheva. And as I was there with the based in, I said, you know, I would like to change my name as well. And I asked them if I could add a middle name to Danielle and add the name Zavulin, because I've always been drawn to that character in the Torah that supported his brother Ishkar in his Torah studies. And I always felt as being part of Torah that that was something I took great pride in and something I wanted to do better. So I, I asked Rabbi Yacobian at the time, will that change my mazel and my ability to fulfill that mission in a much bigger way? And he said, yes, indeed it will. So I, I changed my name. And I want to approach this topic with the framework I sort of presented on the episode I did, The Power of Speech with Rabbi Yacobian. And I asked him to come on and talk about the impact of saying our blessings in the Hebrew language on the world around us. And I start off by talking about, if you look at the construct of the world, according to the Ramchal, that the binary code of the world is God's revelation or concealment of himself. And the programming code is the Hebrew language and how us as speaking beings are the other outside of our infinite internal creator that can contribute to the world around us, either building it up and making it more holy or tearing it down. Something Rabbi Cohen taught me was that the the four-letter name of Hashem represents thought manifest, meaning that the Yud represents the initial idea of creation. The second letter, He, represents the world of formation. The Vav represents those ideas, that thought, that will of creation coming into the second He, which is the physical world. And likewise, mankind is structured in the name of that four-letter name of Hashem. The Yud is our it's our heads, our minds, our consciousness that, that houses our neshama. The first hay is our, our arms. The vav is our torso. And the second hay is our legs. And it represents that we, as in the image of God, have been empowered as his co-creators to manifest thought in this world as well. But I want to get to how the, all that fits into situations you see in the Torah, like were Avraham, Sarah, Yehoshua, all of them were given these changes to their names to reflect their change in their mission, which is why I did it, but I wanted to explore it more deeply. So I asked Rabbi Cutler, who I had on before, to come on and really delve into this subject with us. I'm sure he is going to thought manifest some incredible ideas for us and help bring some clarity around what is in a name. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Rabbi Kotler, I know you don't like to go by Rabbi. 
that you're my teacher, you're my rabbi, but I will call you Daniel, if that makes you more comfortable, which is a good name. I like that name. Help us understand this because it, it's sort of confusing because one of the concepts I've always heard in Torah is that you have, like we're not supposed to be look at astrology, right? You see the Larissa where they look at astrology and they see how that governs their future and they try to use that. But we are, God tells us we're above that. We connect directly to the Almighty that whatever may be a certain course of action by fulfilling Torah mitzvot, that we, we go to a more lofty level, but then reconcile that with how when these names are changed of Abraham, Sarah, Yehoshua, things you've seen throughout history, why that makes a difference. Well, that's such a broad topic. I, I have to say that, thank you for having me on. The, the, the idea of words having real meaning in the building of the universe that we have is a favorite topic of mine. It's something that I'm always drawn to. I think it's a combination of things. It's like it's like the truth behind the truth of what we see. And it's also maybe because of my background in, in tech and how I look for... I remember the first time that I was involved in anything software related and I could actually write some... Either I did it or I helped uh, somebody else write some code and see something happen. And it was remarkable. And the idea of, of letters and ideas creating something real that actually has a real world implication is, is, is uh, exciting. And to have this be built into the fabric of the universe is just really, it's a, I'm sure it's come up a lot on your, on your podcast and it's just, it's exciting. Well, for one, that prophecy in the Zohar about the, the second flood and the innovation of technology, I've, I've read things from back at the turn of the last century about how we would discover things that would help us understand the deeper meaning of Torah, the Kabbalah. Indeed. And I think a lot of the metaphors that, so forgive me if I keep going back to software and I know you brought it up earlier yeah. because that's, it's uh, it's such a great metaphor. It's a modern metaphor the last 30 years and it helps articulate many of the things much better than uh, some of the older, older ones, at least to me. Yeah. Many of the concepts that we're going to talk about, you have in, in the, of course they've been in because they're truth. They'll be in, 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 uh, in Yiddishkeit and Judaism from the beginning and the Torah from the beginning. But they've always been hidden. They've been, you have the Sefer Yitzirah, the ancient book that is ascribed to Adam Arishan, to Adam. And then you've got the, say, the book of Zohar, times of Shimon Bar Yechai. But they come, uh, they come out in more modern times, in the 1400s, 1500s, you have the Arizal, the Ari. And then my exposure mostly through the works of Hasidus and Chabad Hasidus in particular. And that would be, for example, the foundational book of Tanya and Shar HaYichud, the gate of unity of uh, the Rabbi Shner Zalman of Ladi. So, and then expanded upon by all the other Rebbes who came after him. Okay. So, back to your, uh, to, to get into the idea of name, changing names. Why do we, why do we have to change the name? Oh, you can look in the Parsha and you can find this is just throughout the whole thing. Throughout the entire Torah, you have story after story about how a name was right for the first time, but it wasn't right for the eventual evolution of a person. Sarai, you know, Abraham's wife, Sarai couldn't have children. Sarai means my princess. She was, she was incubating as kind of a more internal person and then ready to come out into the world and, and, and influence more broadly. She could have, her name was changed to Sarah and then she had a child. And which means? It means princess or leader. Okay. It went from being my princess to uh, the broader use of the term without the suffix meaning mine. Okay. So the princess to many. Yes. Okay. Similarly, Avram, 
which in the books of Hasidus is interpreted to be a shorthand for Avram, meaning meaning lofty uh, father. And, and, and according to Kabbalah, father refers to wisdom. It's our Chachma. It's the first step of the, the top of the, of the idealized human. And it's, it's, he had the idea of monotheism and ideas that would change the world, but it was in a state of, it was conceptual. But to then become Avraham, which is, turns into Avhamon Goim, which is mean Avhamon Goim, which means um, father of many nations, that is more that is a journey, and that's the journey of Lech Lecha, that parsha, which means go out, you go out into the world. So Avraham's name is changed, Sarai's name is changed, and then and they have children, and and their their mazel changes as a result of that. Right. Explain a little bit about the the, the mazel. The word is used in a lot of, and, and colloquially we say mazel tov. Right. And we say. Uh, well, you have good mazel or you have bad mazel. So, I mean, you know, we, we use it almost interchangeably with luck. There's a line in Zohar that says, there's not a blade of grass that doesn't have an, a mazel on it saying grow. Okay. Uh, like uh, striking the whip almost or saying grow. Right. It's, it's the upper, it's the, it's, the, it's the spiritual version of something. It's, it's up the chain of devolution down from spiritual to physical, from concept to reality. It's the higher version of something. And in the story of, of uh, Daniel, there's a, a part where there's a very scary image, and, awe, and like an awe-inspiring image. And the Talmud discusses how they're all taken aback. This is Daniel and, and Hanan, Michelle, and Azariah, three other um, students. Okay. They're all awestruck. But it says Daniel saw it, but they didn't see it. So if they didn't see it, then why were they awestruck? Because right. they didn't see it, but their mazel saw it. That's what it says in the Gemara. Okay. Their mazel. The, the higher, the part of you, if you imagine your neshama being an iceberg, but upside down, and only a little part of us is down here manifest. And so, um, so a mazel is a, is a, uh, a, a, spirit, a more spiritual, up-the-chain <laughs> version. Like it's, if, if we were shadows on the wall, then it's the, it's the physical object that's making the shadow. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, so the, you're, you're redirecting by changing your identity. You're redirecting the pathways and of, of flow of energy and, and things into to your life. I mean, this, then we, it goes on. Every single tribe, every shevet, as they're being named, gives the reason. Their mother or their father gives the reason of why they're being named that. Reuven, Shimon, every single one. And obviously, names have meaning. And, and throughout, and then you have throughout history, you know, the most, the two big protagonists throughout Jewish history have two kingdoms, the kingdom of Yehuda and the kingdom of Yosef, which are two of the Shvatim, two of the tribes. Their names themselves give you, give you an indication of, of really, this is not a battle of just, it's a swinging back and forth between two important ideas within, within our soul. Each one of us has them. And sometimes we are more like one or more like the other, Yehuda being Submission and hayda, thanks, gratitude, but but more more specifically, we are called Yehudim, Jews, right? And you and and that's what we're called in the story of Purim, for example. That just the Yehudim, Yehuda means means uh, we acknowledge. We are. It's not about you. It's about submitting to a higher purpose. That's the Yehuda. And then Yosef means flourishing. And it's about uh, um, it's about what can I do? What amazing things can I do in the world? I can grow and. And the kingdoms respect, uh, reflected that big difference. Yehuda, as a person, was a shepherd, and Yosef was a king involved in changing the world. And Yehuda was was uh, reaching spiritual heights on his own. Right. So is the idea here that both those are necessary components, 
that we're trying to harness as a as a Jew today to acknowledge where everything comes from, but to allow them to to have our role in allowing it to flourish in this world. Right, and and uh, really, we should we read this Haftarah during the week when Yehuda approaches Yosef when he thinks he's just the leader of Egypt. And he approaches him to to challenge him. And we read the Haftarah afterwards, which always has a tie to the Parsha. The Haftarah talks about one day the kingdom will be united, which is being, the bringing together of both of these tendencies. You know, the real, when do you really accomplish one is with the other and vice versa. I, and I was just bringing it as an example of the meaning of names, the importance of names, the, the destiny that comes with names. Finally, I think uh, one is Yaakov and Yisrael. And that's the father of all the, the Jewish people. What's interesting about that is, is in some in the case of some of the name changes like Avraham and Sarai and uh, Yehoshua from Hosea, Joshua, and, and many others. Once somebody's name changes, the name changes. Right, but good point. Like uh, sometimes Yaakov is Yaakov, and sometimes he's Israel. Yeah, because we are constantly swinging between our Yaakov and our Yisrael, and both are important. It wasn't that we left, you know, Avraham was a a stepping stone to get to Avraham, and now we can be Avraham. But in the case of Yaakov and Yisrael, these are, this is something that happens in our life, you know, kind of like during the week we're Yaakov. Right. We're the struggle. Akev means, you know, uh, holding on to the heel. And then during, on Shabbos, we are Yisrael, leading. We're, so during the week we're discharging, and then during on Shabbos we're recharging. And then you have that in life and holidays versus the rest of the thing, or even the morning when you're morning prayers where, you know, you stroll and then out the, during the day where Yaakov. What do those names mean, actually, Yaakov and Yisrael? Yaakov connects with the word Ekev, meaning heel, which is, which is down and, and um, the most engaging and the most mundane uh, struggles and holding on to the material world and engaging it within it. And Yisrael, there's, a, there's an acronym how it connects to the Torah, Yishishim, Riba, Oseis, Patera, Latara. But, but there's another, um, but more broadly, the angel who fights with him, he gives him a name and he explains it. He says, because you fought with, you fought with angels and have won. Yisrael means leader over, Sar-el, over, over powers. Okay. So it's about us as not in a battle, but in a state of peace as, um, as a leader. And connecting to what's above us not connecting to what's below us and struggling. Okay, because we're we're down in this world, we're 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 struggling with the mundane. But our task as Jews, as Israel, is to is to struggle with bring holiness into those mundane affairs. Right. Exactly. So I mean, so I, so to answer back to that question, I'm, I think I can't. Answer, I'm not sure this is going to be a sufficient answer uh, for it, but I. I the idea of a mazel and the idea of a changing of a name, and there's all these stories. I mean, I have relatives who've changed their names for things and have, you know, got, thank God, have recovered from an illness. It doesn't always happen. I've, I have other stories. So it's, um, but it's, you change the name to bring an, another pathway. It's not only psychological, but I think there is a psychological element as well. Who do you, who, who do you identify as? One of the things we have to remember is a name is not your neshama, it's not your soul. The soul is is infinite. The name is the is the it's a soul body superstate. It's this particular instance of your soul body. It's uh, so that is what's the name, and and we can give it another name to bring in different elements of this infinite soul as needed. Right. Okay. Because we always have that opportunity to 
lived in this world many times. I know just for myself, being a slow learner and a bad student, that I'm, I probably have maxed out every opportunity possible. So I've been here before. So, but each each time someone's in this world, they have a different mission. You know, I've heard that, I've read from the Arizal that Moshe's first incarnation here was Noah. He had that mission, but I guess they always criticize Noah as not having enough Amuna as he should have because he didn't get into the ark until it started raining. And then that same neshama comes in as Moshe, and which, by the way, is the word Moshe means means I, well. She also the, another case of where the name is is explored and described, and the reason for it right in the text. Yeah. She says, "I named you Moshe," and that's the name we call him by, not yeah. Tuvia, not uh, not uh, Yucasil, which are names that we ascribe the Medrash ascribes to Moshe, but Moshe. Why? Because I drew you out of the water. The Kabbalah says, and this is from uh, brought in the book Tarar from earlier sources, that when it refers to Moshe being drawn out of the water, it's a very high soul that is from the water, where water would be the hidden worlds and the land is the revealed world. It's a metaphor. There was a almost like a pre-world that contains these very high souls. Now we all source ourselves from there, but this is there are souls that even in our world still identify, still connect, still are cognizant of the hidden world. And that's the, that's the meaning of Moshe. Okay, so it, it is a name that reflects what, what our specific, our Neshama's specific task is. For that reason, that's why the, the, the Gemara says that when we name our children, we're, we're giving them, we're kind of assigning a destiny. And it requires prophecy. And we have that prophecy. It's the 60th. I think you, you mentioned this on a previous podcast. It's a, we have a, a little shard of prophecy coming down, helping us. I heard a story, and I haven't been able to find the source of it, that one Purim, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, there was a, um, a Purim Farbrangen, which means get-together, and people were saying L'chaim, and he went around the table t- telling them the meaning of their, like the, almost their future on the basis of their name. That would be amazing to have been there. <laughs> I wish I was. <laughs> so I, one of the things I just started incorporating into the Shimon Esrei was at the very end going back and reading those verses for Danielle and for Zavulin. And so those verses some way are doing the same thing, to sort of reflect the, the mission of, which you and I are both saying the same thing, or both their names are Danielle. Yes. Both Dan- are Daniel judges nation, like one of the tribes of Israel. Yeah. Is that the one you say? So it's almost like we have this, you know, both our parents lost their free will to some degree. Hashem wanted us that to be our name. We both have some type of similar mission in this world based off the fact that we share that name. So is there more to that the reason we read those biblical verses with that represent our name? As anything, there's a, there's a lot of layers to it. One is reading a pasuk from the Torah that represents us, helps us identify. A verse from the Torah helps us identify with what our mission is and reminds us, you know, as, as we do reading various verses from, from the Torah, the, the idea that words and names have, have spiritual significance is so common. Like I'm, it's almost like hard to know where to begin with this. It begins with creation, actually. You have Adam, Adam who's given the job of assigning names to animals. It's an amazing story in the Medrash. And the angels can't do it. They're unable to. I mean, why is it so hard? You call the table a table and a, <laughs> a dog a dog. Yeah. Call it whatever you want. But in Hebrew, we're told this is the building block of 
this is the language with which God created the world. It doesn't say throughout the whole creation story, it doesn't say God made this or God made that. It says God says this. And the speech, as you brought from other podcasts, the speech is the creation. It's the it's the assigning of how things will be manifest um, to the point where it, it, it described in Kabbalah where the sound of speech, people's speech, and, and by extension, how God uh, manifests is there's the sound and then there are consonants which cut up that sound into shapes, into, into, uh, uh, into words and, and, you know, into syllables. And the sound, the sound itself is assigned to chesed, which means expansion. It's, it's about putting out. Whereas con- the consonants, it's, and there's five categories represent the five gevuros in, in, in the Kabbalah, represent gevura, which is limits, which is a common theme throughout Kabbalah and throughout Hasidus that you have or and kalim. You've got energy and you have vessels or limits. And it's always a balance between those two things. And you find that uh, throughout. And so the, the creation story is, is Hashem saying, let there be this. After all of that, you have Adam Rishon who's given the task of naming animals. And he names all the animals and it's supposed to be an amazing accomplishment. So, so we're told it's an accomplishment because he was so in touch with the spiritual flow of energy into the world that he could understand the tendencies, the purpose, the mission of each animal by just by a small example. The word for dog in Hebrew is kelev. Kelev is seen, according to Hasidus, as an acronym or a shortening of kol lev, kule lev. It's all heart. Where the idealized human is mind over heart, mind, uh, intellect over emotion, and figuring out how to channel this, this animal that we have, which is important, into doing good things, but all through the lens of intellect. On the other hand, animals are not like that. In particular, you know, dogs are such great friends. They're, all, they're, they're either excited, they're attacking, they're hungry, they're in the mood, they're, they're, they're doing something. There's, it's all heart. It's not, a good, it's not a good look for a human. But that's the that's the the essence of a dog, a caliph. In the book of Sefer Yitzira, that initial like it, it describes the uh, the math almost behind how many combinations of le- letters can create things, and it says letters are bricks and the words are houses. And with two bricks you can make two houses, and with three bricks you can make six houses, and four bricks make twenty four houses, five hundred and twenty. Now what's the math there? It's factorial, you know, and that's uh, every possible combination. That's why in the way things are manifest, sometimes. We can see it in the word, and sometimes you only have a little remnant of that similarity between two words. Is just remnant in the in the number. It's called the gematria of two words. You might have the same number, and that is symbolic to us. Uh, it doesn't mean that I could just uh, anyone can come up with uh, two words that have the same gematria, and it doesn't mean it has value. But when a holy person who can see in the dark, as it were, and uh, whereas we're groping around in the dark, but when it's tzaddik or a rebbe or somebody says. This is the meaning of that. That's why they have the same gematria, or the gematria of this is that. We have it from holy, from from ancient or inspired sources. It helps give a glimpse about the meaning of words. I think that's where I originally sort of got exposed to this idea of the the, the power of the letters. And you're right, they're, they're numbers as well. Is I, I did study Sefer Yetzira like four or five years ago. Now, keep in mind the reason I tackled it over Sukkot was I read that. If you struggle with the text, but you don't get it, which I didn't get it, but when Mashiach comes and the light's more revealed from Hashem, 
then you'll totally understand it. So I'm just letting everyone know I'm going to do a full podcast on Sefer Yetzirah <laughs> when Mashiach comes and okay, full clarity on it. And you'll be ahead of most of us, yes. <laughs> just for me. Just for the fact that I struggled with it, but I didn't get it. But I do remember like when I was reading it and all the commentary by Rabbi uh, Kaplan was that they knew how to go into that, I guess, that conscious level of Yetzirah and change the letters. And these yeah. rabbis, they would create a calf to slaughter for Shabbos. Stories that are not from obscure Kabbalistic sources. These are straight from the Talmud. And the Talmud is a, is a legal text. And it has stories in there. But it has stories like that, right? Creating a cast, creating of a golem. The initial golem story is from the Talmud. It's from Rabbah and Rav Zeira. And yeah, the creation of something through, uh, through words and letters. We're told that when Moshe has to save the, the, the person, the, the slave's life who's getting beaten up by the, the Egyptian, he kills the Egyptian with the name of God. Amazing. So uh, the, the letters are the code. So the other thing about all this, too, is when you look at the different names of Hashem. So there's all these different names that are used to reflect his interaction with the world, which on one level teaches us that what really defines us is our interactions with the world. You can't see Hashem, can't hear, but what defines him is the way he interacts with us with loving kindness and balance with Gavora in order to create the right type of compassion. And it really sort of like then what in the end defines us is not what we see in the mirror, but how Hashem sees our actions, how others see our actions. But talk a little bit about that too. I'm sure there's a lot more insights too on the various names of Hashem used in the Torah. Indeed. And we just came from Purim where you have an entire book without the name of Hashem in it. And which is which gets to this dichotomy between a name as a helpful label and a name as a limiting restriction. And we we use names. This is just a little philosophical, but I mean we use labels and names because it helps save time and it helps identify. You, you can see a, you give a baby a cup and they can just be transfixed and amazed by it for a while and holding turning around. You give it to somebody, yeah, it's a cup, thanks. And that's it. Well, we use that name. So now we can, you know, if we want to manufacture cups, we can just say cup and we can make a bunch of them. Do you want to pass me the cup? And it's good. That's why we have a name for cup. Now, that's good. And the problem is we do it for people, too. And we, we, we oh, that's the person who X, Y, Z, you know, oh, we do it for we, and, and then we do it for behaviors. And we we type things to the point where they're now they're just rinse and repeat and they're templatized and. It's very limiting. You know, when we get a text, you have an immediate reaction from somebody. Oh, this is the, from somebody, you know, this, well, how do you know what they had in mind? And so we do it to, we do it to Hashem also, right? <laughs> we got, we uh, God interacts with the world and we can't relate to something without a name. The name is the interface with which we can relate. And so throughout the Torah, we have names of Hashem. Sometimes though, we just say, God says, I in, in the Ten Commandments, he says, I, he doesn't say, it, he says, I know he, I am. And then in the case of the, the book of the Megillah, I was referring to the book of Esther, Hamelech, the king. Uh, but he doesn't say any one of the names. It is, it's just a hidden because uh, it's, in a way, it's less limiting when referring to God himself. A child's ability to, to, to believe in God as opposed to a complex, a complicated, overcomplicated you know, the, the way that we can sometimes overcomplicate things. So we have to somehow strive for the understanding and the wisdom of understanding of these, these names, which we can talk about, but at the same time, rise above them to almost to a child's purity, like praying like a child, just to be open, the, an infinite God who's not, 
as we know, God is not these names. These are names that are just like I, we, we described ourselves. Our name is the interface between the soul and the body. When we describe names of God, that's an interface. That's, that is a method. That is a, that's a way that God interacts with the world. Right. It's just it's one minute vantage point for that situation. But that doesn't encompass, obviously, the infinite. infinite. How can you, how can you, uh, it's infinite layers of infinity, and even that, that, that pales. So there's a story in the Medrash that introduces, uh, that to me, the idea of names of God. And, you know, your, your podcast is called the Shema Podcast, and Shema Yisrael is the most fundamental and foundational of all the prayers. Where is Shema in the Torah? It's brought in, in I think, in the book of Devarim. Moshe Rabbeinu teaches uh, Shema before the Jews went into Israel. That every day they say they should say Shema to remember how the 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 unity of God. However, that's the the uh, the line Shema Yisrael does appear before then chronologically, not in the written Torah, but the Medrash brings stories of Shema before that. Right, Yokov when he uh, meets Yosef. Exactly. Okay. I thought you were going to go with Yaakov and his children, which is the first thing my mind goes is to when he when he's they're all around his. His deathbed, and they assure him, they reassure him, Shema Yisrael, listen, Israel, God is one, we, don't worry, we believe. And he says, Baruch But there's an earlier, like you, you brought up, you got straight to the beginning. The first, the first mention, as I understand it, of Shema Yisrael is in the Medrash when Yaakov is meeting Yosef. And uh, we're told that after 17 years of suffering and wondering about his child, he finally meets him and he's overwhelmed. And Yosef is meeting his father, he's, he's crying with emotion. Yaakov is saying Shema. And what is the meaning of that? So it's explained in Hasidus that he's saying Shema Yisrael to himself. Hashem, Elekeinu, Hashem Echad. These names of God, I thought I understood. I thought I knew that there was, there was Hashem. That's spelled Yud and He and Vav and He, as you described. I, we can call it, by the way, that's called Havaya. It's often pronounced Havaya in shorthand uh, for, in Hasidus. They refer to that name. It's the switching of the letters so you're not pronouncing it properly. So Havaya and Elakim Elakeno. So Shema Yisrael, Havaya Elakeno, Havaya Echad. I used to think that they were separate modes of interaction of the world. There was the there was the infinite kind. There was when we understood things. There was the when things are going well and kindness brought down into the world of Havaya. And then there was the strict judgmental Gevura of Elakim. And I've been treated with Elakim for a long time. And and they were separate. Like you could, God could choose to act in this way or that way. I, ya- Yaakov was had this deep realization that it's all really one. He saw that this separation was in service of a good. It was in service of feeding the whole family, of creating uh, a, a destiny, a future for the the entire Jewish people. And so, all of this hardship, he's seeing it now through the lens of the unity of God, Havaya and Elokeinu. The what seemed like severity was actually the kindness, except you can't sometimes... We have to zoom way out. You have to zoom out. Maybe, maybe even more than one lifetime sometimes. Right, yeah. But certainly not uh, in, you know, in TikTok time. We're not going to be able to see it. Those are the two fundamental. It says, Hashem Elokeinu is, is like the sun and a shield. The two, fundam- the two most prototypical names of God as described. But there's seven described in the Talmud that are that have a special classification that you're not supposed to uh, erase them if they're written. Whereas in many cases, God is described as kind or as fighting a war for us or all of these things, Hanan, Rachum, Tamim. However, those those can be 
erased. It's the seven names, special names of Hashem, which are generally a manifestation of God in a particular in a particular way, in a particular channel. The Kabbalists would talk about the world of Atsilus, Atsilus being the top world where the basic ideas of differentiation, where you have these ideas of the ten sefirot, the ten uh, powers that, that, that create the world, of which there are three intellectual, or which means processing, and, and, and seven emotional, or meaning uh, interaction with, uh, with the outside. This is, our, this is the DNA of our soul, and it's also the DNA of how God interacts with the world. And these names of God typically line up to one of those. But the most infinite of the, the, the name that is, let's say, in one way, generic for God, and uh, most infinite, it's, it's, if you imagine water flowing through channels, uh, through pathways, maybe colored or different pathways, but the water inside is the infinity, the infinity powering kindness or the infinity powering uh, infinite kindness, right? Infinity right. powering, infinite ability to, to have gavura, to, uh, to limit and to hide oneself. So that's why the inside name of all names of God is this Yudka is Havaya. The revelation of infinity, as you described that uh, the rabbi told you, it's the thought manifest, right? Or uh, I would say uh, uh, the way I think about it is the revelation of infinity. Pathway down from infinite to revealed. And that's why in the story of, of Egypt, Moshe goes to Paro. And Paro says, I know there's a, I know I, we all believe in God or gods, but who is this Hashem, Havaya, that I should listen to him? I don't believe in an infinite God is all powerful. That I can't, I can't get. Yeah, and I also read that in some commentary that the, the God that the first and second Pharaoh believed in was the element of God that created the world. What hardened their heart was this idea that there was a God that orchestrated every event and there was reward and punishment and we were responsible for our actions. That it was that aspect of God that hardened his heart that they couldn't, they couldn't comprehend or yeah. want to comprehend. Yeah. It's easy to look on the outside. We're all a little like that, I guess, in some way, uh, more or less. We, do we, we obviously believe, but does our behavior belie a certain failure to internalize the fact that there is, God is really running everything right. at all times exactly. right now? So, yeah, of course, there's God. He created the world. You know, Natanya describes, or sorry, Yichud rather, describes the view of philosophers that God created something and then left it to various forces, forces of nature. And in the old times, they would believe this were forces of astrology or, you know, the, but today, nature, you know, there's the markets, there's things, things work, they're put in play. Okay, once in a while, big things, okay, you got a, got a act of Congress, uh, maybe God will get involved. My litmus test I like to give myself, to keep myself in check, how much I recognize that is when you're not feeling well, you have a headache, what's my first thought? You know, is it, Hashem, will you heal this? Will you guide me to the, the doctor that will heal it? Or is it immediately going to the medicine cabinet? You know, do I, is it the medicine healing me or is it Hashem healing me? Oh, man, right. now you're giving me a really uh, <laughs> a guilty conscience. <laughs> but, you know, that that's like, our, you know, yeah. the reason we say the small. You know, in the morning and at night is to remind ourselves that. But during the day, I, I forget that. And I'm always or trying to force a business deal to be closed. Mm-hmm. And the things like it's really like who's really controlling this. In, in this partial we just passed, the list all the, all the animals, the kosher ones and the not kosher ones. And one of them is called a shalach. And it means a, it's the animal, it's a bird that swoops down into the ocean and, and picks up fish. I guess that's a stork, yeah. pelican. So... 
the Talmud says that it's called that because it means swoop, and then, and then it goes and tells a story that it's it brings a verse from the Torah, and Rabbi, I think Rabbi Yochanan says this is proof that this is God's wisdom is even in the depths of the ocean, that choosing which fish you're going to have to go today, and that's sitting in the Talmud for a couple thousand years, but then then in more modern times the Baal Shem Tov and describes hashgacha pratis, which means specific guidance from God. A God is an ever-present and, and, and ever-involved God, which wasn't, you know, people had trouble connecting with that in a, in a, uh, in a detailed way. He would, he would make illustrations to his, to his students about even a leaf falling as directed by God in order to do, and he would show them, they would, oh, look, it fell on this, this animal that needed, a bug that needed shade. The tiniest thing of all things. Um, and I was like, how, is, how can God pay attention to all that at one time? Well, it's, that's, it's good to be infinite. Right. Um, and that, but that's what we say in Ashray too, right? Yeah. Which translate that for the audience? Open your hand and, and give life to all, um, to all living things. Right. So he, he provides food. He provides everything to all, all living things. Yeah. And so the Baal Shem Tov used that as a, or a, as a proof, even from the Talmud. It's not, God doesn't only pay attention to big things, not even only to humanity, even animals. Which fish is going to go that day? Elohim would be like the shield, the, the shield uh, on the energy, because infinite energy is, is, uh, is destructive. And, and, and more specifically, you, you wouldn't have a world without this limit an infinite power to for God to hide and create a give give us a chance to have individual identity and think that we're independent. In in the words of Kabbalah, it's called tzimtzum, contraction, hiding, and and then you have kale, you know, uh, which represents chesed, kindness, power, and then adin, adnai, we'd say, um, which represents malchus, the, the rulership right. of God, uh, present in the world as we've just been describing, right? Because and, and other names. Because we, we, we go back and forth in our liturgy, our father, our king. We're constantly shifting between these two different ways in which we view God, correct? And I think we're supposed to be keeping those both those ideas in mind at all time. Is that, is that accurate? Because I always get confused. Like, do you want me to approach you as king or my father? I prefer father, but I know there's some times of the year where I just know that I'm the subject and he's the king. You know, come Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, but I know leading up to it, up to Rosh Hashanah, then they say the king's in the field. That's like, that's your last chance to talk to your father before he goes, sits in the palace and passes judgment. But it seems like, but he's always in both those things. And I've always... Think about infinity as it can be a lot of things. <laughs> right. and it, it depends on how we connect to the infinite. Right. The okay. truth is it's both. And it depends on who you are and where you are in your life. Right. It's fear and love, isn't it? Yes. and And it's... There are, there are there are amazing holy people who, in this world, are we say you know Alvino, God being our Father. It's not just a psychological metaphor that oh he's really close to us. It's it's more than that. It's it's we are the kind of reflect we, are, we have an infinite soul and we are the reflection of godliness in this world. So we are children of God, and most of us are not in that space at all times, at many times. We don't act like it. We don't think like it. And so Malkenu, a king, you know, that's a more accessible relationship because that is something, all right, I'm, I, I get it. I have to do it. I'm going to do it. But it's certainly better. It's higher. This close relationship of a father and a child, 
parent and a child is a higher level. And great tzaddikim would have both. The, uh, and, and, but they, in this world, they would still be able to relate as a child, not just as a subject. And I think there's, there's points in my life, too, where I know I need to be pushing myself a little more. And a forgiving father, that relationship is not going to cause me to push myself. I, you have to think long game, like when I'm standing before the Almighty. Sometimes I need to approach it like he's my king. And I need to do, I need to be pushing myself more to do A, B, and C so I can have the closeness of a father and son. So you're right. I, su- I sort of go back and forth on, on what's more appropriate for me in, in that moment. Sometimes when, you're, when you're struggling, I just want to approach him as a, a father. I think that's what he wants to convey to us too. That's a, that's a really great insight. The last name of the, of, of the seven names of Hashem to be revealed in the Torah was not in the Torah at all. It's in the later parts of the later books. It's in the Tanakh. Okay. And the Nach, particularly. So the name Tzvakos, we say, but it's spelled with an Aleph, but is that Lord of hosts. You know, we find it all over yeah. the Tanakh. Who invents it? Who discovers it? Who kind of writes that pathway in or like uh, sees God in that way is Chana. And on Yom Kippur, we, um, we read the story of Chana, and it's about her praying and associating and relating to God on a much more a much more accessible, lower way than, than I think is uh, I you'd see it previous Moshe Rabbeinu Moshe was so lofty that he was connected to God in, in, in the higher spiritual worlds. And he was, was um, describing Hashem's energy at that level, which became over the ages harder and harder to do and less accessible. And the, the Talmud says, from the day God created the world, no one called God Svakos until Chana came and she did it. And it was the ability to see that even down here in this world, the most mundane things, it's not, God's not something outside of the world. In it's all, you know, God is, is within everything, even the host, which means the multitude, a plurality of differentiation and, and what appears to be a, a fragmented disparate and unconnected uh, without a without any uh path, without any purpose and sometimes everything is just uh, uh just specks and atoms and and, and 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 protons and neutrons in that in that disparate world seeing god's hand and so that's the it's a way it's the lowest name of god which is meaning but the most applied what, what does that word mean lord lord of hosts is a translation when i'm reading the english in my city <sighs> Present in, in, in physical, present in the physical, present in the darkest times. Gotcha. Um, and there is a, there's like a, a version of that same word when the Jews are leaving Egypt. It says, Tzivos Hashem, the army of the hosts of God. We're called an army leaving. It's also said in the Talmud that there's a few meanings of that word Tzivos. Tzivos means army, troops. It also means, um, it also means like, almost like the, the uh, colors because we are not one, we're not supposed to be monochromatic. With the Torah gives us a lot of latitude about, about finding our own pathway, especially within prayer and within what we do in life, within halacha, within doing, uh, you know, within doing, uh, keeping the, the commandments and, and, and being a good person. But there's, we're not supposed to be all, you know, just penguins. Right. <laughs> exactly the same. Must be robots. So this Tzavos is about uni- the, the, the uniqueness of every single person. And so I, I, the, the menorah and the temple at seven branches are representing the seven categories or different different categories of Jewish people. I find it interesting that a rainbow has like seven colors, or at least the way they categorize, I, categorize it. Um, so that's one of the other explanations. 
So it's the later, the later prophets, starting from Chana, who are able to help us see the godliness within the world. Beautiful. What about the angels have specific missions? And these angels have names, correct? Based off their specific missions, is that something you can speak to? Because I remember there was something about the, the three angels that came to visit Avraham after he gave himself Prismila. And there was one that was on its way to, to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy it. There was one that was there to heal him. It was, there was something, what I recall, you can probably clarify, that, that one couldn't do the other, couldn't do another task. It was like, because of the name they have. Is there there's something to that? Okay. Yeah, there's definitely something to that. It's, there's a Haftorah where a Navi says, God, you have placed me as somebody who walks among all those who stand. Imagine a room where, where a bunch of people are standing around and one person's progressing, walking. And that was him in heaven with his, a soul versus an angel. An angel doesn't progress. An angel is, in modern days, terminology, I would say, a program. A very good program, a very spiritual, lofty, not, you know, not software, but, but whatever spiritual version of that. But what makes humans different, Adam, Adam al-Elyon, Adam called himself Adam, Adam meaning I am similar to above, to the way God interacts with the world, is it's the complete parts of or complete range uh, and balance of this entire possibility, a range of, of, of emotion and intellect in the form of infinity, but realized within a bunch of details that can work in concert with each other. So we have the ability to change, to progress, to grow. And that is what makes people different than angels and souls different than angel. An angel has a mission. And when it's really, it's, it's success is to be reabsorbed into the great oneness of everything. And in fact, there's a line we say in, in, in davening, we say, those who are created and those who've been created. There's actually categories of angels that just are like just like disposable cups that are like single use and, and they do a thing and then they are reabsorbed into the oneness. And then there's ones that we are that, that are made more lofty and permanent that have a, uh, a mission that is perpetual, but it's still within a very narrow range. It's in a range. We, we are told that, you know, Michael is angel of kindness, and Gavriel is the angel of severity and judgment. Okay. Rafael healing, and so an, an angel has a uh, is these are tools. These are not gods. These are tools. They're spiritual, and spiritual doesn't mean God. Uh, God. It means uh, it's pre physical. So it's it's spiritual tools of God and identities in 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 so far as. Uh, imagine a very complicated, very amazing program that, that can that is the methods by which God has chosen to interact with things in the world. They're there to facilitate his interacting. It's a way of, for the infinite to interact with the finite is through facilitation of these these spiritual beings. Yeah, and 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 in Kabbalah, you would have it describes worlds, the four worlds, and. Um, and there's powers within the world. And, and in, also in Kabbalah, it says, very careful, not, you're not praying to these powers. You're seeing the godliness present in the powers. Even the way that, that uh, the detail way that God interacts with the world is said to be through names. So this Yud and He and Vav and He Havaya has 24 combinations 
for each hour of the day. When, he, when, the, when Rabbi Shneur Zalman Avdi was in jail in Russia, they tried to confuse him by having lights on at weird hours. And he always knew exactly what time it was. He said, I know what it is. It's 2.30. And he said, how do you know? He says, every hour there's a particular unique combination of, of, of God's energy coming into the world. So if you can see it, then you know what time it is. I heard a story about the Husiatana Rebbe, which he lived in the earlier part of the 1900s and, and up to the 1940s, there was a lot of fear and panic that the Nazis were going to invade, actually make it into Israel. And um, he, was, he was telling people to visit the, the graveside of the Holy Orachaim and to build mikvahs as a, as a protection. And then at one point, he, they were maybe two hours away. It was very close. It was, and he said, he looked into the distance and he says, we're going to be fine. And he saw, and they asked, how did you know? And he, he saw the letters of, of Hashem coming in in the right order down, that there would be at least this amount of, of order and hierarchy and purpose and, and correctness in the world. It wouldn't be as dark as that, as the Nazis into Israel. The people who are highly sensitive can see the names of, of uh, can see the pathways and can see Hashem. Combinations of, of energy coming into the world can see it in people. And that's why they can, uh, they can help people, you know, guide. Uh, a, a, there was a, a Kabbalist who, in Israel who advised a relative of mine to change her name after a car accident. And she, and, and she did. What was her, her name? Was it? Her name was Orly, my light, and she changed. He and he told her to not only add a name but change her name to Noah, and so she did, and she recovered. So I, wow. um, but the point is just that holy people can see this, and and we're lucky if we get a glimpse of it. But I think studying the ideas and studying the concepts, as you said about Sefer Yitzira, it gives you a familiarity that does create a structure and a framework you can start building scaffolding around in your head and building a story and understanding it more and more of ultimately we're never going to get to a perfect understanding but we do get better we get we we can see with more clarity and we can it can affect our behavior the 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 medrash tells about how our soul before it enters the body is taught the entire torah and then is given a little jolt by an angel and forgets everything comes out so then what's the point of that that sounds tragic the point of it is that we, we there's a there's a familiarity and a recollection. And the first time you study something in, in Kabbalah or Hasidus, it's it sounds just you know obscure, strange, uh, fantastic. And and then you can, but then I think that's probably true for a lot of things: physics, math, chemistry, right? Uh, and any new concept. Uh huh. And, and and diving into it more is worthwhile. It gives you a familiarity. Familiarity breeds an understanding, which then ultimately, which is the purpose of it all, makes us feel differently and affects our behavior. Beautiful. And I think there's uh, the, the, the reason I think this, this concept has some real tangible weight to it in our lives. It's not just some theoretical ideas because it, it shows the gravity of our responsibility. With, with speech, there's a lot of things like, you know, we were sort of drawing on this parallel of technology, which again... The sages, you know, a hundred years ago were saying we would have we would have innovation that would help us understand the world. And, you know, I've I've heard an analogy given this world, it's like what we would see a website today 
with this beautiful interface, but behind it all is code. It, these ideas, knowing the reality of this, what's behind the website screen, that we are influencing it by our words and our and our name does give us a sense of our, our mission, that we do have a mission here, we do have a purpose, and you know we have this lofty responsibility of being Hashem's co-creator and to take it all seriously. We matter, and we matter a lot. Yes. This is the why. We are the why for the whole thing. Right. Which is... Uh, you know, it's both humbling, but it's also it gives us a, a tremendous amount of importance and responsibility. This is why God did things is so that we have a world and we can make a beautiful world and, and make God present here. The, there's, a, um, there's something in Pekavot that says, Da mila mila mimach, know what's above you. And the Maggid of Mezrich says, he, he, he puts a comma in a different place and he says, Da mila mila mimach, know that everything above is from you. So if I made it sound like we're the shadow on the wall and that there's there's really physical objects that are making the shadow worth the worth the the bottom of a devil of a, of a devolution of from spiritual to physical, know that it actually the purpose of which is to go upwards and everything, all the spiritual worlds, they hang on the smallest thing we do and uh, and so yes, we're like there's a downward energy that's cre- the creative of this world and having making things happen. But what we do as a result of that is tremendous and impactful. And it's, it's, it's the importance. It's why God did it all. That's, that's beautiful. The other night I was sitting on the back patio. I was you know, having my scotch, a little stogie. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do the last hour of my day? Cause I could watch some rubbish on Netflix. I should probably, I should probably go, you know, watch a sheer on YouTube or something. And I was going to go over the Netflix route, and I was just stopping. I was looking out the clear sky. It's so vast. You think about the vastness of this universe, and I just had this idea. This entire vast universe, he created it for us to serve his will. Like, it serves no other purpose except for us, for each of us. And it sort of it calls me to watch the sheer versus uh, the nonsense on Netflix. But I'm just saying, everyone listening should, should know that. Like when you just look out at the world, it was only created as a setting for each of us to fulfill our, his will here, to fulfill our mission. Beautiful. Thank you, Rabbi. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking Donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.